Amen. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, guys. What uh, I love that song. Um, man, I just want to say a uh, quick thank you to uh, everyone that uh, uh, was a part of yesterday uh, and uh, our food giveaway uh, with Second Harvest and the food truck and all that good stuff. Uh, many of you uh, came, showed up, showed out to, to help give away food, and then we even had some groups go out uh, to some neighborhoods and do that too. Uh, and just, man, just the stories I've gotten to hear today, just unbelievable, just amazing. Uh, God working through that stuff. So uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness uh, in, uh, in being here and being about that and helping us uh, serve our community and love on, love on others. So uh, I want to, uh, wanted to uh, introduce you to someone today. Uh, in fact, we've got these little cards uh, out uh, in, the, uh, in the foyer on the welcome desk. If uh, you don't have one already, uh, might be something that you want to uh, pick up, maybe stick on your fridge as a reminder to pray uh, for this family. Uh, this is uh, this is Nate Jones, and uh, Nate uh, and his family. You see here on the card, and his family's with us this morning. Uh, Nate and his family uh, uh, feel uh, called to uh, some areas of Nashville and some certain people groups in Nashville uh, that uh, I'm going to let him share about many of those things, but. Uh, I'll just be honest with you, uh, getting to hear Nate's story, uh, and Nate's going to share with us today, and we support Nate and his family uh, in what they're doing. When you give, you're helping give to, to them and to the work that they're doing, but uh, when uh, I heard Nate's story, uh, it challenges me. Number one, it reminds me of something that I see all through Scripture, and that's that oftentimes we are called to a people. Uh, you know, I, I had, I told that story just a couple weeks ago of, I had an opportunity to leave 24 many years ago. Uh, financially, it would have been a great opportunity. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was one of those things where like every time I prayed about it, God just kept laying the faces of people on my heart that were here. And he was saying to me, it's not time for you to leave. You're not supposed to go. And so, uh, you know, I really believe that God calls us to a people. Uh, and so uh, Nate and his family are called to a people. Uh, I'm challenged by that, but I'm not, I'm not only challenged by that. I'm challenged with the willingness that they have uh, to go above and beyond in figuring out how to minister to those people, how to live with those people, uh, how to be a part of those people's lives and the things that they're doing. I'll let him share all about that. Uh, anyway, uh, this is Nate Jones. Welcome, Nate Jones. Nate's going to be sharing with us today. We're super excited about this. Hey, thank man. you, brother. Thank you, brother. Hey, good morning, church. Um, thank you for allowing me to be up here, Chris and Ben and the other leaders, Nathan. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's a privilege to open God's Word with you, um, and I, I'd love to share more about what we're doing. I, in short, we're trying to go to a place where there's no church and uh, see God plant a church among a people where it's 99.99999% uh, Muslim, uh, not believers. Um, so we, um, about 26 million people in this people group we are serving, it's considered an unreached people group, which means, traditionally it means no Bible, no body of Christ, uh, and no, uh, no believers. Uh, Rick, uh, I believe Rick Warren defines it that way. And so we, uh, we actually have a Bible, though. How many people poured their lives out to translate the whole Bible into the language of our people group? And it's just amazing. Uh, we believe that God works through his word. And so we, uh, 
uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to open God's Word. So anyways, we're, we're trying to start a church where there's no church. Um, and so today we wanted to look at Matthew 16 and see how does that happen? How do you go from no believers to a room like this? Guys, we are, we are the people of God. The church is a people. It's not a building. You've heard that over and over. Uh, it's not an institution. It's not an organization. It uses all those things as good tools and good gifts from God. Uh, but at, at its essence, it's God's people. So Matthew 16 is where we're going to be, if you want to open there. Um, yeah, I would love to share more and more about what we're doing. Um, we're, we're doing a creative thing. We found uh, we sell camel milk. At the, uh, our people group love camel milk. Uh, they, they see it as a life-giving source, and uh, they swear it, it cures diabetes and cancer. And, um, and so we're using it as a way to get our foot in the door in these closed-off spaces and to get to know people. Um, the most heartbreaking thing is, like, if, if you live among an unreached people group, uh, you'll, you'll be born, you will live, and you will die without ever really knowing a Christian. Um, and we want to change that. So that's, that's when we're starting here in Nashville. Sorry, I, didn't, I meant to mention that. Uh, there's 6,000 of this people group in Nashville. And we were here when God called us to this work. It's we're starting there. And we're setting our sails, asking God where we might go next. But um, anyways, thanks for your attention. Um, so Matthew 16. So I'm going to set this down. Um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is a question, if you were to ask anyone in uh, the people group uh, that we serve, who is Jesus? They would say, oh, we love Isamasi. We love him. We believe in him. Oh, he is a prophet. He never sinned. He was, even, he was born of a virgin. He did miracles. We believe that too. Uh, we believe he, uh, he healed the sick, healed the lepers, um, we even believe that he, he raised a, a man from the dead by the power of Allah. But, and we even believe he's the Messiah and he's returning. But who is he? Did he die on a cross? Oh, no, 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 no. God forbid. Allah forbid that. No, he did not die. Is he the son of God? Oh, no, no, no. That's... That's blasphemous. So we are very, we have so many things in common, but that, that subtle nuance, who is Jesus really, is the difference between uh, a believer in Jesus in this room and a, a follower of Islam in a mosque in Nashville. So we want to we wanna look here, and so Matthew is fascinating. Right, let's read it, and then we will we'll just let these work. I mean... Okay, let me, let me just spill the beans here. Our message is very simple. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And he says, I'm going to build my church. And guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have this amazing promise in these words we're about to read. Um, and this, this is just blowing the minds of, of the disciples. They've seen, they've walked and followed with Jesus all these days, and so it, it's incongruence with what they see this man do. But then he turns and says, but I'm going to die. 
And that does, they don't have a category for that. And he says, and if you're going to be my follower, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Um, and so this is the great, the great twist. But this is really where this, the, uh, the distinction between real Christianity and all sorts of different versions of Christianity lie. Is whether or not the followers of Jesus are following him with their own cross and willing to follow him even unto death. And then, we're not going to read this passage, but Jesus goes up on this mountain and reveals all this glory. So we see this huge foretaste of, oh my goodness, he really is no mere man. This is the son of the living God. All right, so let's read God's word. Matthew 16, starting verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So let's, let's back up. Who is Jesus? Let's think, you know, if you've read through Matthew recently, they've seen amazing things. <laughs> They've seen this man who walks around, and no matter where he goes, he meets need. And when Jesus meets need, that need is fulfilled. It is met. In this world where we, we, we rack our brains trying to figure out how do we solve all these problems? How do, we, how do we draw near to people who are poor? And, and give them the love of Christ when there's so much need. <laughs> Addiction, so much need. Friends, here's a man walking in the pages of Scripture, and wherever he went, he was the answer. He was the one. Um, I just, just bear with me. Let's, let's think. I, I just picked out a few little places where Jesus does something and people react. And so we see this building crescendoing realization that is kind of the climaxing to where we're at in this passage where they realize, oh, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You think about Jesus in this boat asleep and the storm is raging and everyone is afraid for their lives and he is asleep in the storm and they wake him up. Don't you care that we are perishing? And he says, peace, be still, silent. It says in Chapter 8, verse 27, he says, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's, uh, let's go to Matthew 11, 3 through 6. John the Baptist is sitting in a prison awaiting his execution. And he's, he's, in, a, he's in a dark night of the soul. He's wondering. And he sends word to Jesus. And he says, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? 
And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. What you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. John, don't be offended if you are left alone to lose your life for my sake. Don't let that offend you because something far greater is coming at the end of your death. And Jesus even said, after he heard, he heard news that John the Baptist had lost his head, among men, none is greater than John. This, who, who dreams of the ministry of John the Baptist? Do any of us long for that type of impact in this world? And Jesus is saying, that's what success in, in my type of ministry will look like. The laying down of your life, the picking up of a cross that I give you, and following me where I'm going into this world. Um, another place in chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus encounters uh, a man who is possessed by a demon. He is blind, he is mute, and he heals him so that he spoke and he saw. And the crowds whisper to themselves, can this be the son of David? Could it be? Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown, because he's coming home. And these are people who walked with him, who saw him grow up, knew his family, knew his brothers and sisters. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not, this Mar is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. Jesus had a very normal childhood, friends. They didn't see this coming. Uh, later, um, Jesus is in another boat, or the disciples are in a, a boat. Jesus had stayed up to meet with his father and pray. And so they had gone off into the sea without him. And he went to them walking on the water. And they saw him. They were afraid. And, uh, and, and he calls out to Peter. And Peter jumps out of the boat. And he starts to run. He's walking on water too until he sees the wind. And then he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out and saves him. And when they get in the boat, it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And Jesus didn't rebuke them. <laughs> This is a very clear point where if you're not the Son of God, you don't receive worship from men. Uh, you, think, you fast forward to Acts when the, the apostles do an amazing sign or wonder, and uh, the people begin to worship them, and they rip their clothes saying, no, 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 we're just mere men. But Jesus received their worship. So we see that throughout Matthew, he's trying to answer this question, which we are asking this morning. Who is Jesus, and why does that matter at all? So Jesus is entering into this, 
This, it's called the District of Caesarea Philippi. And that's an interesting aside. Uh, Matthew could have just thrown this in there. You know, we would have known, you know, nothing else. But, it, you know, he very intentionally tells us where this takes place. It's the northernmost point where Jesus' ministry took place. After this, they're going to turn south. And Jesus, and Luke says, he set his face like flint to Jerusalem where he would die on a cross. And so this is the turning point. And he asks in this city, which is a pagan city, very few Jews worshiping all sorts of different deities. And he's asking here, who do they say that I am? And they, you know, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, uh, 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 one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? So you think about that, it's, it's a city much like Nashville in a lot of ways. You know, we, it's a mixture, right? Um, lots of different worship happening in our own city. Um, and you think about all the different answers to that response in your own home, in your own city, in Nashville, in Franklin, Spring Hill, up, in, up north, and, and very similar things. So he's a good man. He's a teacher. He did many great things. You know, if only his followers looked like him, yeah, I would, I would worship him. Um, but he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, so Peter speaks up. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. He is the anointed one. He's the king promised. He's the son of the living God. He's the new Adam. He's the new Israel. He's the son of David, yes. Now, you and I, you know, in, in jest, we might say a silly thing like, you know, oh, I'm, a, I'm a big deal. No, but Jesus was a big deal. He is a big deal. And he matters in every... You, you walk into every square inch on this earth, no matter the culture, no matter the, uh, the worship that's already occurring, no matter the... Uh, the allegiance, allegiances held, no matter the political affiliation, Jesus matters. The person of Jesus matters because he's the only one within himself who has the answers that they need. You think about we've been wearing masks for so long because of this virus going around. When Jesus was around people and he breathed on them, now we might be afraid, I wonder what I am spreading through my mouth. He only spread life. His garment, if it was grabbed or touched unintentionally, power would go out from him. And people who were, a woman who was bleeding for years, no one could help, just totally restored. It's almost like heaven and earth are meeting in this man. And it's, uh, you know, I don't know if you've watched uh, this series, The Chosen. I, th I think they draw out in a, in a very beautiful, artistic way um, what it might have been like to encounter someone who just, he was the answer to no matter what problem they were facing. So let's look at this promise. So Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answers him. So we're looking at Jesus' reply. How does Jesus reply? 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Well, Peter may have objected and thought, well, you know, okay, I observed. I used my rational mind, and I've come to these conclusions. Yes, but let me reveal something else to you. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven loves you so much, Peter, that he chose to lift the veil from your eyes. It's very interesting that Jesus would point this out. And blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's Peter. You are blessed. Um, And so then he says this, and I tell you, here's the promise. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, I I mean, you, on this rock, on this rock, okay, Peter might say, oh, me? Oh, my, my name sounds like rock in Aramaic. Okay, so he's talking about me. Oh, but, but I'm standing on this huge rock in this area, and there's rocks everywhere. Uh, okay, maybe, it's, maybe this is the place, and I'm going to lead it, and God's going to build this mega church right here, and it's got to hold billions and billions of people for all those who would come to know the risen Lord, right? And, and, and this church would be indestructible and invincible. I don't know what was, re- was flowing through Peter's mind, but we've, we've seen this passage be interpreted any number of ways. Our Catholic friends go hard one way, you know, others another way. Um, but let me just put forward this. What is the rock that Jesus was affirming on this rock? Was it Peter? Well, we know that Jesus is the cornerstone. So in some sense, the rock is Jesus himself. Um, we think of Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um, that's true. But here I would just put forward that what Jesus is affirming is what just came out of Peter's mouth. The, it's called the sacred profession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what's amazing? And, and this is why this promise is such a hope to us. Because we're trying to take this profession to a place where there's no one professing it. And, and this was in an area in a city where no one was professing this besides Peter and, and Jesus' followers. And Jesus is saying, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build the people of God on this unshakable reality that I am who I am. And I will never fail you. And I am for you. And I am free. You can have me. It will only cost you everything. (laughs) But I'm worth it. Um, So the profession is the rock. And so it's not, you know, you could think, well, where's the strength? The strength is not in the professor, Peter, you know, his faith, his authority, Because we see five verses later, Jesus rebuking Peter, even calling him Satan because he was trying to stand in the way of Jesus' mission to the cross, which was initiated by his Father, which he knew would end up in the salvation of, of all his people, us included. 
And so we know it's not the strength of the one professing it. So it's, it's the object of the profession. That's where the strength is. When you think about how this, we all share this profession in here. If we are believers in Jesus, if we have come to know him and see him and receive him, this is ours. And guess what, guys? This is a, this is a warm blanket to the soul in the night of suffering. This, is, this will be there for us on our dying day when we're taking our last breaths. This is a rock that the people of God have been standing upon for all these years. And Jesus is saying, yes, and it's happening here too in this pagan city. Um, and that reveals something of Jesus' heart. Uh, let, let's just draw out what is not the rock. Um, so we've already said it's not our sincerity or our maturity that gives us the stability as the people of God. Uh, and we see in a little bit that Peter himself doesn't fully understand what just came out of his mouth. Because maybe in his mind he was thinking, okay, we're conquering Rome. We're going to set up shop here. We'll finally be able to worship God as we're supposed to. Finally, power and authority will be given to the people of God to reign triumphantly. Um, that's not the rock, is our own sincerity and maturity. Uh, it's not a physical geographic space or building. This is a beautiful building. We thank God for this amazing space, for, for this city to worship Jesus. But this is not, it's not confined to the space. We use tools like this to help organize, right? But Jesus um, says in John 4.24, uh, the woman at the well is, uh, in Samaria, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So it's, it's anywhere where the people of God go and gather together with this profession on their lips, from their heart. You think about the church Globally, everyone on this day is gathering together in different spaces, different languages. We were just uh, this last week working with uh, uh, pastors in uh, India to, uh, to get the gospel out to these villages. And um, they're meeting in homes very humbly. But the spirit of Christ is there. The rock of the church is there. And people are standing on it, and it's amazing. Okay, um, now I, I, I think it's very fascinating that Jesus never explicitly commands us to plant churches. He commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and he promises to be with us forever. Um, it's interesting that he never tells us to go and plant churches to all of us. He gives each one of us this mission. We're all involved. Because do you know what, how someone goes from not having the profession that Jesus, uh, Peter just spoke? Someone shares the gospel with them. Someone goes to them and, and tells them how Jesus has changed their life and shares with them in a way they can understand 
that this is for you. He did this for you. Would you like it? And if they say, yes, I want that, I want him, it's theirs. And guess what? The church is being built by who? You? Me? The church planner? No. Jesus says, I will build my church. Let's think about that. Christ is the subject of the sentence. I, not you, will build the church. And will, it's not maybe, will. I mean, you, I, you look at the state of the church in North America, and we're all over the map, uh, very divided politically, uh, culturally. Um, we're, um, yeah, we're just in a different time. There's lots of scandals that have come out in the last two years. Um, and many people say, that what is, what is with the mess of the church? Um, it's a real stumbling block for a lot of us, and I, I sympathize with it. I, a lot of times I think, what is Jesus doing? What are we doing in his name? Um, so why is the church such a mess? And is this, is this a reason for us to say, well, maybe the problem is with the church. Maybe we do without the church, and we go it alone. Well, I, I was thinking about this objection, and... Um, Man, friends, he's using us to build the church. He's building the church through us, through our going, through our faithfulness, through our serving, through our loving. Christ is building his church, and he's using sinners. We are sinners. We make a mess of things all the time. So I think my first answer would be he's using sinners. Uh, Jesus says in uh, Matthew nine thirteen, he says, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And we just have to recognize that. We're all over the map in terms of um, our faithfulness and our, um, our Christ-likeness. But he's using us. And I, I think the other thing I would say is just because something has been done under the banner of Jesus doesn't mean he approves of it. Um, Jesus will judge all things, including Christian leaders, and, uh, and those in power, he's very, he's very clear. He's, they will be judged more strictly. Um, in Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, Jesus will either be a means to some other end, or Jesus will be an end in and of himself. Those are two very different paths ending up in two very different destinies. And Jesus is saying through this interaction with his followers, the keys to entering the people of God is, do you know me? Do you know me? That's it. And if you know me, I know you. Because you hear my voice. And you do what I ask you to do. Because you've received my love. And you're beginning in, in some small measure to love me in return. The keys to the kingdom and the keys to becoming a part of the people of God 
is knowing Jesus and what he has done for us. And Jesus will not tolerate being used for any other purposes, growing a platform for your own name, growing in power and popularity. All those things are incredibly dangerous pursuits that seem to go in tandem with following Jesus. And a lot of people fall off that cliff, and we've seen it. But that's not Jesus saying, it's all about me. (laughs) It's not about what I can give you. On, in this world, apart from me. Um, the next part of this promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, friends, there is a hell, and the powers of hell are vigorously at work in this world. Just look at the news, and you will see the effects of the enemy. We're we're tuned in right now to the people in Ukraine and what they are at this moment, you know, hunkering down in bunkers and basements, fearing bombs, and um, and it's hard for anyone who who doesn't believe in hell to look at that and look at you know that this was you know there's actually people with stories and names and faces who are triggering this type of atrocity for all sorts of reasons. The powers of hell are at work, and we're, you know, I don't need to convince you of that, right? But what does that say about where Jesus is going? Are there places that are off limits? You look at what an unreached people group is, and you might come to the conclusion, like, that's off limits. That door is closed. You are insane to go where there's no Christians and think, I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim the gospel and God's going to save people, and he's going to gather them, and he will build his church. Well, Jesus is telling us nothing is off limits. This is my world. The devil is my devil. He's on a leash for his own purposes. That's a bigger conversation. I just think of 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, the only thing that's keeping us from going to where the, the, um, the places where it just seems like it's off limits um, is us and our own intimidation and fear. Jesus this whole encounter takes place in a pagan city with pagan worship. So, um, I, and I just want to encourage you that this is happening. Where this is a, we are on the offense. This is not just about the powers of hell attacking us where we are, though he is prowling around like a, a lion seeking someone to devour. That is true. But this is, a, this is something that we can take the ball up and we can run. God, where are you calling me? Where are you leading me? Is it this group of people who I, I, I really get along with, but man, they, they're far from God. He's saying the gates of hell will not prevail. That gates, it's, it's entering into a place that's been the domain of darkness since the fall. And it will not prevail against normal, ordinary 
Christians taking the gospel of peace and hope to those who have yet to believe. Um, I just have some examples here where I see in different ways Christ building his church, Jesus building his church. Um, this last week we got to this incredible pr- uh, privilege to work with uh, South Asian Indian pastors as they had selected a village that had, is unreached and they had been prayer walking for a month trying to identify is there someone who would invite us in. And then they take us, Americans, and so I was, they had me on a, a Zoom, an iPad, or as a computer or something, or his phone. And they took us in, and they, uh, so we're kind of like the door openers. And we go into this home, and we, we do a little cultural exchange, and we, um, we, we talk about Nashville and Tennessee, and then we, we tell our story, our testimony. This is how Jesus changed my life. And then we ask, can we tell you more about this Jesus? And we share from creation to Christ in about eight minutes. Um, and so we, I was in Monday, Tuesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We were in four different homes doing that simple, very simple, not rocket science. And we saw 15 people profess faith, saying, I want that. I would like that. Could I have that? And so, okay, here's this little village of 300 people. And we got to start something there. Like, they don't have a car to drive 30 minutes to where an existing church is. So they got to start something there. So okay, okay, well, let's, so that local leader is going to, is going to keep visiting. So let's open the word together. Let's pray. Let's, and so we see that Christ is building his church in this place where there was no church. Um, I mean, we had, so this, this was a team of, we had about 25 Americans paired with 25 Indian pastors going to these villages and all in all, we saw 791 people say they would like to receive Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you just like, I, I, I say that to remind you that the, the spiritual climate there is different than here. But God is moving in surprising and powerful ways. I just wonder what the stories are of what God is doing in Ukraine in these, in these war zones. I just, I, the stories are going to be phenomenal. The rest of heaven is going to be trading these stories with each other. And it's going to be so encouraging and uplifting and edifying to our, to our hearts. Um, I, Iran is the home of the fastest growing church. I don't know if that's changed lately, but, uh, and predominantly it's made of former Muslims. That's amazing. In the last 20 years, the Bible translators have made huge um, leaps in uh, translation. And I have our people group, we have the whole Bible in our language. So that's just amazing. Um, well, and so we want to turn, and as I close, it's, you know, there's a price to Christ building his church and including us in that, and that's sacrifice. No, he is the ultimate sacrifice. He's not calling us to do what he did on the cross, but he is saying that there is something, uh, I, think, I think it's Paul says, uh, the fellowship of, of Christ's afflictions or something to that effect. There's, that's a reality, that when we suffer and lay our lives down for the sake of others, for loving others, for showing others who Jesus is, we 
enter into a deeper fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. And, um, and the apostles are trying to tell us that this is a good thing. We should rejoice when this happens. So and this is Matthew 16, and we'll end with this, 21 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, there's quickly, do we see that it's a satanic, demonic strategy to get in the way of the cross? And likewise, any Christian ministry, church, organization who discourages self-denial and loving sacrifice for the sake of others, for the cause of Christ, is walking in tandem and in step with these satanic and demonic strategies. And it's, it doesn't look satanic or demonic like we would think of it. But Jesus is saying, this is, my, this is the way I'm walking, and I want you to follow me. And it's going to look different for each one of you. Every single one of Jesus' disciples died in a different way, but they all died. And, and I believe they were all killed. Um, so each of us are called to a different calling, and Jesus is saying, but I'm with you. <laughs> and guess what? It will be worth it. There will be more life in that loss of life than if you had used all your strength to try and save your life through your own means apart from Christ. So this is a joyous invitation to follow Jesus with his cross. Um, Jim Elliott says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I think it's true. And it's humbling. And I, you know, I, I saw this online. It's like, you know, um, Jesus does not need our good works, but your neighbor does. And I would add, uh, Jesus doesn't need us to lay our lives down, but the unreached people groups do. Um, I am hunting for a Somali to come to faith and I know that that man, if God fills him and anoints him, he's going to lose his life. If he listens to what we're considering and takes it seriously and runs to his people in East Africa, I don't think he would lose it here. It would be a mess here, but there they would, they would seek to put him to death. So this isn't figurative. You know, this is, he's being very real and tangible here. There's a cross for us to take up in our own way and, and follow him. Um, so the price of seeing Jesus' promise, which is I will build my church and hell can't stop it, uh, the price of seeing that with our own eyes is going to be our own personal sacrifice. Um, Peter couldn't fathom a Messiah who would receive glory and honor through suffering, humiliation, and death. And Peter had no category for the power of resurrection when he's standing before Jesus saying, far be it from you. 
but we know the power of resurrection. Peter stood in the way, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Um, So we may think that doing something great for God means building with power and might and influence, but what if greatness looks more like spending our lives however the Lord calls us, giving it away in the purpose of making Jesus known among people who have yet to hear. Um, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. Come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And my friends, he says, you will be called blessed by the risen Christ. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the church that you have built here. Uh, we, we give you this church and we thank you for its leaders, for everyone here. And we ask you to build your church through this church in places and spaces in this area where you have not yet been named, where you have not been received as Lord. And we give it to you. This is your church. This is your mission. And we thank you for involving us and using us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.